Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. As Betsy said, we are glad that you're here with us this morning to join in our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, the disciples of Jesus claimed that after Jesus was crucified, after He died and was placed in a tomb, He rose from the dead. And yet they were met with intense skepticism. In Jesus' time, many people didn't believe in any kind of real afterlife. Or if if there was one, it was sort of a shadowy existence, some kind of an underworld. In fact, many of the most educated of that time believed it was nothing more than a fable. And that may not be so different for many in our world today. And that belief then has implications because if there's no afterlife then this life is all there is, which often leads people to justify very self-serving lifestyles that focus on what we want and living for all that we can get. It's the old YOLO, you only live once, so grab all you can. The Apostle Paul understood this, that if there's no eternity, that is, if the claim that Jesus has risen from the dead didn't really happen, if it's just a myth, a story, then this self-serving lifestyle makes sense. Paul himself wrote, if the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You may have thought somebody in the 20th or 21st century came up with that statement, but it's been around for 2,000 years or more. And yet a lot of folks discover that this kind of life Ultimately, it's pretty meaningless, leaving, leaving folks feeling hopeless. And things like relationship issues or, or medical setbacks or hard times can blow them out of the water. But, but if Jesus rose from the grave, if there is, in fact, eternal life, then it has the potential to change our whole outlook on life and give us hope, regardless of what we're going through. Because there is more than what we can see right here right now. Now, admittedly, that's a faith statement. I, I mean, I, I know that. I put that out there. I'm, I'm, it's a faith statement. But Paul believed that there were legitimate grounds to believe that Jesus was resurrected and to commit our lives to him. And he explained this in a letter to the church in Corinth in Greece. And I just, just for information's sake, just to kind of remind us, here's the eastern Mediterranean, here's the Holy Land, Jerusalem, here's Greece, and right over here is Corinth. So just in case you've ever wondered where that was. I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's in the New Testament, about uh, maybe halfway through the New Testament or something, uh, or the Version Bible app. If you have neither of those, we have notes in the bulletin that you can take out and use to follow along that have the Scripture or Scripture references there for you. So beginning in chapter 15, looking at the very first verse of this letter that Paul wrote, his first letter that he wrote that we have a record of to the church in Corinth, he says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul says, when he had been with them for about 18 months on his second missionary journey, sometime in the early 50s A.D., he preached to them. And, and in his preaching, they received the gospel, which 
The original Greek language that that comes from literally means good news. When you hear the word gospel, it literally means good news. And it was good news because Paul says their acceptance of the truth of his message was saving them for eternity just as it was saving him. And then he goes on to remind them what this gospel, this good news, is. Continuing in verse 3, he said that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now here we have really kind of the essence of the Christian message, and many scholars believe that that Paul received this as sort of a, a creed or a, or a statement of belief from the apostles Peter and James while visiting Jerusalem about three years after Paul's own conversion. And that would have put him receiving that within about five years of Jesus' death and resurrection, maybe less. This creed or creedal statement said that Jesus died on a cross, a horrific way to die, on what we call Good Friday, but it was for a purpose, to take upon himself the punishment that we deserve for our sins. He was taken down from that cross late in the afternoon of that Good Friday because he was dead and buried in a tomb sealed with a large stone. But on the third day, early on Sunday morning, the stone was rolled back revealing an empty tomb that Jesus was raised from the dead. But the disciples should have been surprised because, as Paul notes, this all happened in accordance with Scriptures. It was all part of God's eternal plan of redemption for the human race. This wasn't a last-minute thought or say, oh my gosh, they they killed him, now what are we going to do? I guess I could raise him from the dead. Not only had Jesus himself predicted on several occasions that he would be beaten, crucified, buried, and rise on the third day, but the Jewish scriptures, what Protestants today call the Old Testament of our Bible, predicted the Messiah, the Christ in the Greek language, would suffer, would die, and would be resurrected. Luke, in his gospel, tells him an encounter two disciples had with the risen Jesus on that first Easter Sunday afternoon. But he, he says that these two disciples didn't recognize Jesus at first, and they felt so hopeless. They thought that Jesus had been the Messiah, the one who would save them from their captors, the Romans, but he had been crucified. Luke tells us in chapter 24, Jesus then said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, in other words, through the Old Testament of the Bible, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And I want to tell you something. If I could ever go back in time, I think that is one of the, the, the most, that's one of the coolest conversations. I just, I would have loved to have just followed behind and listened to that. I would have loved to have heard what Jesus showed them, what Jesus said to them, how he pointed out all these things that the Jews had been interpreting in all kinds of ways, 
but that God's plan clearly showed, going all the way back to Genesis, that it had always been his intention to liberate them and us from our most powerful captors, not the Romans, not a government, but sin and death. On Good Friday, Satan thought he'd won. But he discovered on Sunday that (laughs) the joke was on him. In fact, some would say it was the ultimate Good Friday joke. I came across this um, picture. Now, some of you will get that immediately. (laughs) And for those of you who aren't quite as social media adept, wait, go back, go back, not yet. You only live once, laughing out loud, just kidding. Be right back, Jesus. <laughs> and, and by the way, it turns out Easter hasn't fallen on April's Fool Day since 1956, so most of you have never experienced that. Hey, hey here's some other April Fool slides that kind of sit out there. Whopper toothpaste. I mean, who, how, how many of us would love to have that? Or how about this? WD-40 aftershave. There's some guys in here that that's, that's already true. Or here, the selfie stick, dog on a stick. Everybody loves to take pictures of their dogs. Just ask me. I did it yesterday. Or new Sub-Zero, the Subway meatball marinara, tuna, or chicken tikka. Or here you go, coffee, mate, coffee flavor. That's kind of, kind of unique. Or Tic Tac pizza flavor. Or Bush's jelly beans. And this one I love. All stuff Oreo, right? But in fact, this is the real April Fool. The tomb is empty. Hallelujah is right. The greatest. The empty tomb is the, is the greatest April Fool prank ever because it's like Jesus is saying, hey guys, you know, I really wasn't kidding. It's me. I'm back. I have overcome the grave. And in case any of the Corinthians weren't sure, Paul reminded them that they were themselves witnesses, that there were witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. In fact, there were lots of witnesses he tells us, in, beginning in verse 5, Christ appeared to Cephas. Now, that, that was the, the Hebrew name for Peter. Then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul's daring the Corinthians to refute the gospel that Jesus rose from the dead. Listen, the apostles saw him, including Peter. Paul mentions 500 brothers at one time, which, I mean, think about it, that's, that's a large group. That's a, maybe half the people that are in here or a little less right now. And, and just so we understand, there's no way that 500 people are going to have an, a, the same hallucination, okay? And, and, and considering that this letter was probably written within 20 to 25 years of Jesus' death, Paul says, hey, There are hundreds still alive of firsthand witnesses. Firsthand. And it would have taken only one person to say, 
under persecution, for a bribe, whatever the case may be. Hey, it didn't really happen. We, we made it up. It was a story. And don't you know that every Jewish leader, every Roman leader would have been proclaiming that to everyone who would listen. And every person even today who is opposed to the Christian faith would be going back to that and saying, look, there is evidence that it didn't happen. But not one witness recanted. And as best as we can tell, 10 of the original 11 disciples, excluding Judas, were martyred for their faith. Listen, no one dies for a lie. No one. What's more, James, he mentions James, the half-brother of Jesus, and the Gospels tell us that none of Jesus' brothers believed him while he lived. And yet he joins with the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus to go on to become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And Paul reminds us that he himself persecuted the church before encountering the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus and then coming to faith. There you have two who didn't believe, who were opposed to it, along with hundreds of witnesses. I mean, you could not pick a better group of witnesses to make the case that Jesus rose from the grave. Even secular historians and non-believers admit it is extremely difficult to cast doubt that this man did not actually rise from the grave. Yet Paul had heard that some of the Corinthians didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead for all believers. And, and Paul seems to even be quoting them here in verse 12. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, and that's what the Christian faith was doing, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? And, and he pr- proceeds then to kind of talk about the implications of what they're saying. That if there's not a future resurrection of dead believers in Jesus Christ, well, there can't be a resurrection of Jesus either. You can't have it both ways because both were proclaimed by Jesus and by Scripture. Jesus said both of those things would happen. Paul Paul writes in verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching's in vain and your faith is in vain. We've even found, we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And when you think it through, Paul says this belief really does have enormous implications for the Corinthians and how they live their daily lives too. He goes on in verse 17, if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And then those who also have fallen asleep, in other words, died in Christ, have perished. They are no more. Folks, Paul says the whole Christian faith rises or falls on whether or not Christ has been raised from the dead. There's no forgiveness for sins. There's no transformation of our lives. There's no purpose in this life. There is no heaven and therefore no comfort for the loved ones of, our, of deceased believers. And all that means ultimately that there is no reason for hope. And and Paul acknowledges this. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, in other words, if he's just a good guy, a good teacher, someone to emulate and follow, 
we are of all people most to be pitied. One commentator wrote, the essence of hope is that it looks forward to the future. And the ultimate future that believers anticipate is a new heaven and a new earth and glorified bodies like Christ's glorified body. It's a hope that reaches beyond life as we know it now. The writer of Hebrews said, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. That's a faith decision. And if you don't trust him, you're not going to believe this. If you do trust him, you have to believe this. The apostle John wrote down a vision that Christ gave him of what this new life promised in Revelation 21. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away in the sea, which as a symbol was a place of chaos, was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Isn't that a, a beautiful picture? There's nothing I love more than seeing that bride when they come around the corner and I'm standing next to the groom and their eyes light up. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. In fact, it sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 2. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Peter said, we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. All of this is the promise of the gospel that Paul preached, that Christians are looking forward to. And the basis then for a real and lasting hope for followers of Jesus Christ. If this is false... If there isn't a resurrection of all believers, if Jesus wasn't raised from the grave, Paul says we're, we're most to be pitied because we're living a lie. We're, we're just pulling the wool, not only over the eyes of others, but over ourselves. It's, it's fake. We have a hope that can't come through with what it promises, and, and, and that's no hope at all. I mean, how cruel is it to offer a hope that is not real? And I want to tell you, and many of you know this, a life without hope is really hard to live. But Paul reminds his readers that all of these hypothetical consequences in verses 13 to 19 are in fact false. He says in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, the first of all his followers who will one day also be raised, offering us hope today, no matter what we're facing. Faith does save. We aren't 
left in our sins. There is hope of resurrection for those who have died as followers of Jesus Christ. His resurrection is the first, and he is the picture of what he'll provide to all those who follow him, his disciples. As we continue in in Corinthians, jumping to verse 51, Paul writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I, I love that. Paul is, Paul is reminding us right now that, that death, which appears to have the final word, death, which seems to be the end, and, and the thing that so many of us today do everything we can to avoid, death in Christ no longer has the final word, no matter what we do. As the old saying goes, there are two sure things in this life, death and taxes, But whatever we've built, whatever we've done, whomever we've invested our lives into, does any of that matter if death swallows it up? But but Paul says we don't need to go there. But we have hope because the resurrection, in fact, taunts death. In fact, it destroys it. Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. In other words, hang on. Keep the faith. Keep going. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, doing what he did, knowing that in the Lord, your labor, even if other people think it's crazy, your labor is not in vain. In and through Jesus Christ, our lives matter for all time, for, for eternity. Apart from him, there is no eternal hope. But when we commit our lives to him and and decide to live as disciples of Jesus Christ, he gives us eternal victory. And and folks, this is not pie-in-the-sky stuff like, well, yeah, Paul could do that. We, We forget that Paul was a real human being. He lived a real life, and it wasn't easy. He tells us he was beaten. He was stoned. Probably most of us in here haven't been physically stoned with rocks. Maybe another kind of stone, but not with rocks. He was driven out of town for his faith. This guy faced real adversity in his life, and yet because of Christ, he had hope that carried him through everything that had happened to him and that would continue to happen to him. Over the coming weeks, we're going to be in a series that starts today called Hope Rising to look in in more depth at what hope can mean for you and me as we are living our lives that maybe in whole or in part or in some areas just seems hopeless, that there is hope. And and of course, in effect, we've told you the spoiler. (laughs) We've told you how the story comes out, that there is hope. But we want you to come back because we want you to to discover how you can claim that hope now for your daily life. 
day in, day out. N.T. Wright wrote, the message of the resurrection is that this world matters. That the injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, that justice, that love have won. If Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it's only about me and finding a new dimension in my spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming hearts. Easter means that in a world where injustice Violence and degradation are endemic. God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement victory of Jesus over them all. Folks, the resurrection hope is just as alive and powerful today. Today as it was on that first Easter. And it's here for you, precisely for you. And if you have not received that hope, if you don't know where to find hope, if you need hope, if you're looking for hope, Jesus Christ is the answer. And in just a moment, our prayer team is gonna be down here. And they would love to talk with you about that. They would love to pray with you if you want to receive Jesus into your life today on Easter, that his resurrection will become your resurrection. His victory will become your victory, that he is not finished with you, and he can give you a hope that will carry you through no matter what you're facing, because ultimately whatever you're facing in this world that's not the final answer. He has so much more for you because he loves you. So I encourage you, is this your day to welcome Jesus into your life? That on Easter 2018, you said, Jesus, I believe. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and give me the hope and the peace and the love that only you can give. If you need to find out more about that, our prayer team will be down here and would love to talk with you about that. I'm going to be out here with some friends, and if you're visiting today, love to say hello to welcome you today on behalf of our church. Let's close with this blessing. And I want to invite you to stand. Would you stand? May the living Christ go with you. May he go before you to guide you, beside you to befriend you, above you to protect you, behind you to encourage you. But most of all, may he go within you to give you his peace, his hope, and his love now and forever. Amen and amen. God bless you. Happy Easter. 
To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.